Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Asian Americans. This is your host, Jerry Wan, and I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. This is episode 60, and for the last four and a half months, uh, we've met some amazing people, some whose stories bring us smiles, uh, some whose stories bring us tears, but ultimately giving us the opportunity to share our collective Asian American immigrant, refugee, adoptee stories that make us feel a little bit more connected and a little bit less alone. And for all of you who have tuned in, uh, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. This project, this podcast, this effort has been really a lifelong dream of mine to share our stories more and to give us, ourselves, and our children the opportunity to share all of our stories because simply they matter and they deserve to be told. Today's guest is an amazing new friend and somebody that I call my brother now, uh, KJ Relke, who is uh, from Missouri, originally from Texas, and he shares with us his story about being a transnational adoptee from Korea, uh, growing up in Texas, and how his life has brought opportunity to connect and learn more of his culture. So I want to thank KJ. Um, I want to thank Nathan Nowak, a former guest on the show, um, who KJ was really inspired by and volunteered to come on the show. As we continue to go through 2020, and particularly COVID-19, um, in the middle of Jan July, in the middle of July, we hope that you're staying safe and hope that you're staying healthy and wish you all the best. Without further ado, here now is my conversation with KJ. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans. Uh, this is your host, Jerry Wan. And wherever you may be and whenever you're listening to this, we wish you all the health, all the safety and all the happiness in the world. We're just about halfway through 2020 as I record this episode here today on June 30th. And what a year it's been. Uh, we can only hope with optimism that the back half of 2020 is uh, less turbulent and more um, normal or, or more um, safe, I guess, um, for every everybody involved. Um, 2020 has been given a lot of people a lot of opportunity to introspect, to relook at things, maybe because we've had a little bit more time at home with our limited mobility for all the right reasons of wanting to keep people safe, but also the events of the world, including for us, Asian Americans, the anti-China and anti-Asian hate crimes and rhetoric and xenophobia that while we knew it always existed, it's sort of reared its ugly head blatantly in America. And um, condoned, perhaps even encouraged by some folks in power to continue to do so. And and, and so uh, I'm really excited to have this conversation today with our guest, KJ, because uh, when he reached out and wanted to share his story, um, he had meant share with me that that was one of the reasons why he wanted to come on, that um, that had encouraged him to want to learn about his Asian American, his Korean American identity a little bit more, and to share his story of being a trans uh, transnational adoptee, and for us to share a little bit about our mutual culture and um, just to build community. So really, really excited. Um, joining us from Springfield, Missouri. Uh, welcome, KJ Rocky, to the show. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. You, When I see the name KJ Rocky, um, it's obviously not a, a Korean name. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and so I was very intrigued when uh, you submitted the form and uh, wanted to share. And as I learned more about you um, through through your submission and um, through just our, our conversation and whatnot, um, I, I am really, really uh, excited uh, to learn a little bit more about your journey. Because um, I don't think it's, well, well for many of us um, who uh, perhaps come to America on our own terms, or at least our parents brought us here um, on their own terms, um, you have a very unique story of adoption in a different country at a very early age and grown up in a place in Texas where perhaps there was not another single Korean person within your life for, for a long time. Um, so again, thank you for coming and allowing us to uh, share this space together. Um, and I, I know you're a Texas guy heart through and through, cause if you're just listening to this, he's wearing a shirt that simply says Texas forever. Um, <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's just um, that's where, where I'm at. That's, yeah, that's where uh, I'm at. You know, 
uh, back, back back in a former life uh was a big fan of the show friday night lights so that's the, <laughs> that that's what uh it reminds me of yeah. um so share with us kj your uh, korean american origin story um how did you and at what age under what circumstances did you find yourself uh coming from korea to america yeah okay so i was born in daegu south korea uh, and then spent the next six and a half months of my life uh, in foster care uh, with a foster mom and then was adopted uh, and brought to Texas. Uh, I lovingly joke that I'm the most Texan of my family uh, because my neither of my parents are from Texas. Um, one's from Arizona, one's from Wisconsin, and they met in Dallas. And so uh, my older siblings, who are my parents' biological kids, uh, grew up in Arizona. And then I have a younger sister who is adopted from Russia. Uh, and she was adopted at a later age than me. So I'm, I just declare I'm the most Texan of my family. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I grew up there, um, in the, uh, like I said, the Dallas area, which was, uh, the, the neighborhood that I grew up in was fairly diverse. Um, so that was cool. Uh, there weren't a ton of other Asian people necessarily. Um, but, uh, that changed as I grew up. I, uh, my parents are, are really strong believers. Uh, they're very strong Christians. And uh, so I was raised in the Christian tradition, uh, went to private school for most of my education, except for third through fifth grade, which I lovingly refer to as my dark ages, uh, just because it was public school. And uh, But it was cool because there um, I got to hang out with, uh, if, it, if the school wasn't like minority majority, there were a lot of uh, black people, people of color. Um, and so I just, I think because I was always aware of of being adopted and being Asian and being different from my family, I was just so fascinated by people and other cultures and things. And so as much as I wanted to learn about my own culture, I wanted to learn about all of the cultures uh, and just really became a sponge um, for all things, whether that was language or uh, music or food or whatever. Um, so yeah, so then I uh, was in Dallas, uh, like I said, finished that private education uh, I went back to private education in sixth grade, graduated high school, uh, and then went to a private Christian school in Southern Illinois, um, which was huge culture shock as I moved from Dallas to this town of like 7,000 people, uh, which was bonkers to me. I just, I'd never spend any time in the mid Midwest, let alone a small town. And there I met people who are from towns of like 300 and I was like, what? Their town's that small? So that was crazy. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and that was really good. I studied music, specifically church music, because uh, I felt like, you know, that was what my career path was going to be uh, from seventh grade. It was like, oh, yeah, God wants me to be a worship leader for the church. So uh, so that's how I ordered my life. Um, and then I spent time uh, and just got to know more people at Greenville. Um, there were obviously a lot of white people, but new um new people of color to, to meet. And I met my first, uh, made my first friend who was Hmong, which was not even like a, an Asian, uh, nationality that I heard of before. Uh, so that was cool. And I just got to, again, be introduced to all of these cultures and these ideas and, and mm -hmm. people. Um, and then I got my job, uh, in Springfield, Missouri, um, where I work at Schweitzer as their, uh, worship and creative director. And I've been here for five years now. Um, which is wild. Uh, along the way, I got married to my high school sweetheart, um, who we are hoping to move back to Dallas one day. Um, Texas forever is a thing for both of us. Uh, so it's a, like a little embarrassing. And also we kind of love it if we match because <laughs> uh, we both have the shirt. But uh, but yeah, so that's been my, my journey um, with that and uh, just kind of what brought me to where I'm at. That's cool. Um so obviously, you know, six and a half months, yet no, no memory, no nothing, right? And and so you're you're growing up um, with the family. Um, what kind of, how did you, if at all, um, did you have any sort of Korean or even just basic Asian influences, even in terms of food or culture or song, music? How, how did you? When, when did you sort of first taste a little bit of what you knew or what you were told? was um, Korean or Asian culture in your life? Yeah. Um, the earliest memory uh, I have of 
another Asian person in my life uh, was a kid that I played soccer with and he went to my um, same small private Christian school. Uh, and then I went to you know public school and met a couple other people. Uh, but it wasn't really, I think when I hit sixth grade, um, I started really caring about being Korean specifically. And so uh, my parents are really supportive of that. And so they uh, helped me find a Korean language teacher um, and uh, tried to learn Korean. I got good enough to read it and write it, but had no grammar. <laughs> and so I could like read, I could sound out what I was reading. I was like, I don't know what these words are. I just know that this is the H sound and this is the ah sound or whatever. So, um, so yeah, so that was cool. Um, and I, you know, I saw some books I knew just because of America at the time I was like Asian, I knew all of the Asian stereotypes, uh, and they're generally pretty positive and, or true of me. So like I cared about karate cause I thought it was cool, but also cause I thought I had to, uh, fortunately I was good at math. And so that was like never a problem for me. I didn't have any hangups <laughs> with that. Um, yeah. And so, so that was kind of my introduction to that. And then, um, my parents, uh, were, they've always been really big proponents of, of world travel, specifically through international missions and things. And so they've always kind of been globally minded. So, uh, when I was in, I think it was sixth grade, we had two, uh, South Korean international students come and live with us, uh, for a oh. year. And so I got to hang out with them and they were like my brothers. And so, uh, that's when I got really into, um, all of like the little nuances of Korean culture. Uh, and so I was like, oh, this is so cool. And, and I, it, was, it was fun to, to meet that um, and, and have those experiences. Uh, but, you know, really, I just, being in Texas, uh, I just felt more familiar with uh, like Mexican culture and uh, Latin American culture. And so uh, I was like, oh yeah, I loved learning Spanish and, and having all of those things. And then uh, by the time that I got to, um, to college. And then especially here in Springfield, I was like, who am I? I don't understand. <laughs> like on the one hand, like I'll watch stories of, uh, you know, like I'll watch like Hentified on, on Netflix on my block and be like, those are my people. And like, I'm not Latin American at all. So not my people, but then I'll watch like K dramas. I'm like, well, I don't understand what's happening here. And I don't, you know, it's just like, I don't know what my entryway is into. Yeah. So it's just been kind of a crazy experience with that. You mentioned that you had this sudden uh, desire or this new newfound desire in sixth grade um, to learn about Korean culture specifically. Mm -hmm. What what prompted that? I think so. I was, I was just reflecting on this with some of my friends. Uh, I just remember the culture shock of uh, going from public school and like uh, dressing like that was at the time um, when you know like saggy jean shorts and like tank tops and things are like still a thing. Uh, I remember uh, I hopped on uh, to to AIM and like was influenced like really subtly by like AZN culture. Uh, and I didn't even know that that was a thing until I found the Fung Brothers on YouTube later. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't just make this up. Like AZN wasn't like me being clever. There was a whole thing. So that was, that was nuts. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, so I think the culture shock of going from like almost ma minority majority public school to very white private school and having one other Korean person, uh, and one, uh, other person who, who was Vietnamese. Uh, so it was just like the three of us. Uh, I was like, Oh, I need to change. And I, I felt, I think for the first time, the weight of being Asian. Um, and so I was like, I got to learn at least something about me that is more than just Asian American, but really specifically right. Korean American. And I think that's something that we all go through, right? And I think now, um, as sort of a collective voice that we need to um, strengthen our, whether it's political or social change, um, we do realize that we do sometimes need to uh, put, our, put aside our differences and perhaps even put aside the history of our own individual countries and to unify as one collective Asian American voice, fully knowing and accepting that that's not the reality of um, shared experience or even shared language or shared food or shared anything. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I, I think in particular when it comes to, you know, seeking culture, um, Asian American culture doesn't really exist. It's sort of this new thing that we're developing together um, as cultures clash and as uh, new experiences sort of, you know, uh, evolve. Um, 
You know, it's really funny. Quick, when you when you mentioned AZN culture, so uh, Danny Tran, who's been on the show, um, he's the co-founder of Sunfish Sauce. Um, him, him and I were on Facebook, um, and he shared. I forget it was either me or him. We we shared some, you know, those AZN the the very stereotypical hand drawings, right? With like yeah. the, the bangs and the girl with the rose, and 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 he goes, "Yo, do you want to meet the guy who drew those?" I was like, "Wait, you know the actual person?" Oh dang! <laughs> yeah, so. I think it's cool. I mean, we who 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 didn't, right? So yeah. it's like um, for for all the young folks listening. Back in the day, there was this thing called AIM, which was AOL Instant Messenger, and yeah. before that, you had to actually chat on IM through the actual AOL thing. Um, when you paid for internet by the hour, um, <laughs> people are confused. People are very confused. Yeah. <laughs> when you paid for internet by the hour, um, but we did, and so. Different times, but I think it's, you know, and, and I agree. I think that's right around the time when I think um, the the introduction or sort of the what it meant to be Asian American and things that we could collectively, um, you know, stand together in. Like, I grew up at a place in Fullerton, California, that was like super Korean and mm-hmm. like so much so that when the school sent out letters, it was English in the front and Korean in the back. Oh, that's right? so Like, cool. so. I, it was cool, but it was different, man. Because yeah. I, I don't think I grew up in America, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had I had friends, you know, more recent sort of like, you know, newer immigrant friends who came in like junior high and never really got rid of their accents or like really care to learn English properly because right. they didn't need to. Yeah, right. Their friends, they you know they. They learned and, and was proficient in English enough to get them through school and through, you know, um, employment or whatever. But there, there was no really need to, you know, I, I think somewhere in between is the best where you can learn a little bit of both. If you don't have anybody, it's hard. Um, like I have cousins who were born in Arkansas and grew up in Arizona. And like that's like a little too not enough. But if you're growing up in like Fullerton or I don't know, like Frisco today, like. Or like Carrollton today, like that's also not very, you know, diverse. It's technically diverse, but if there's, you know, more Koreans than anybody else, that's also not a very diverse experience either. Right. Yeah. Um, so that that's actually cool. I mean, what were some of the things that you wanted to learn from the two guys that live with you guys? Was it was it food related? Um, were there a lot of Korean restaurants in the neighborhood back, you know, twenty years um, ago? Or oh man, there weren't. It's so different now. Like we'd have like a little Korea town. Um, and there's like, even just as I went through high school, we had more and more, uh, international students from South Korea come. Uh, and so by the time I graduated, there were more just in, in high school and it was a small school. So I like had more experience to that, but, uh, yeah, specifically with those two exchange students, um, I don't, it was everything from like, uh, playing, like teaching them about football, <laughs> uh, to mm-hmm. then like, going and having, I think probably that was probably one of the earliest times that I remember having Korean food. Um, I think my parents went when I was a baby as their own celebration of getting me. Uh, but mm-hmm. when we uh, had those exchange students, that was, I think that's one of the earliest memories that I have of eating Korean food and not going to like a Benihana <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and just being like Asian food. Uh, so yeah. that was, yeah, that was cool. And, and I learned um, like, I learned beatboxing from one of them, which just kind of fit into <laughs> every idea of how I thought Asian Americans should be. And I was like, this is going to make me cooler. I'm going to master beatboxing. Uh, and then I was like, I learned, I was like very into rap. And so that was fun. And then we like worked on dancing. We played a lot of table tennis and uh, just things that I don't know that they were interested in. They um, were also Christians. And so I got introduced to like Korean Christianity, which was cool. Cause I, um, haven't you know been introduced to uh like hispanic christianity or like christianity from other places because i i've also traveled the globe and on missions and things like that uh but it was cool to be like oh this is uniquely like super mine you know it's not just like mine it's like <laughs> definitely mine like this is korean yeah. and christian and and so yeah figuring that out and yeah so that was that was cool that's pretty cool do, do you still keep in touch with those guys uh sort of it's been hard and i don't know there's just been life has happened uh but like i think my dad ran into him one time and like got invited to one of their weddings which was really fantastic and yeah oh, so i try cool. to like keep up at least a degree away you know um yeah so yeah that that's cool man um 
so you you had that experience, which is super cool. Um, and as, as you navigated high school, um, and chose to go to a a small school in Southern Illinois, as you said, um, tell tell me a little bit about sort of what how how your own identity changed. Like it's, I, I think Texas, Texas, particularly Dallas, is fascinating because you know. Um, it's not as homogeneous or not as, you know, majority white as, as most people sort of have this stereotype, right? Yeah. Like it's obviously um, got a lot of Mexican influence. I mean, hell, it used to be Mexico. Um, yeah. And then so even, you know, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so it is as diverse, it is more diverse than I think people give credit for. It's just not diverse from the perspective that um, at least Asian Americans would see it and go, oh yeah, that's a place where I would really feel comfortable in. Um, but you were, you, so you grew up in an, uh, an area or, or during, I guess, um, in, in circumstances where there was a lot of things that were new and different, but also amazing and, and cultural to different people. Um, did you, what, what were some of the, the feelings that you had in terms of, you mentioned, you alluded to it earlier, that you felt more comfortable in certain um, Spanish conversations mm-hmm. and you speak Spanish as, as for that reason. And um how, going off of, I guess, building on the experience in sixth grade to seventh grade where you had those in, international students uh, live with you guys, was that a steady progression into you seeking more of yourself and your culture? Or was that a really, really cool year experience? And then given the circumstance and given the environment, um, tell, tell me a little bit more about your search more into your identity or your not your search into your identity, but your perspective on your identity in, in your adolescent years. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think search for my identity makes the most sense. And I mean, when you're that young, uh, you know, it's you are like one thing, uh, especially going into to high school. You're like, I need to find my people. I need to be my people. Um, and so for me in high school, my people was church people. And so mm. uh, having um, those Korean exchange students live with me was fantastic. And we had some other people come and live with us, uh, from like the Caribbean islands and things. And so like, uh, just was ex- exposed to a lot, but, um, I had heard somewhere that, you know, like if you don't learn a language before puberty, then you're never really going to sound like a native speaker. And so I think in the back of my mind, if I'm able to, you know, anachronistically, narrate my growing up uh i think i had just kind of given up on being like truly korean um in a way that now is still is grieving to me uh but so i was like this is a cool experience and of course i want to learn more about uh being korean but i just put that on the back burner because being christian uh, and being a good christian however you want to define that uh was more accessible and that's where like my closest friends were. And so I really leaned into that. And so the fact that they were Christian too, was like, Oh, this, I can like incorporate part of my own heritage right. in that. But, but I really leaned really heavily into that. But, uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I had traveled, um, to a lot of places like by 16, I'd been to most continents, um, mm-hmm. on mission. So, uh, like I went to Bogota, Colombia and, um, in eighth grade. And I was like, I only have like a semester and a half of Spanish, but just so cared about practicing because it was also all around me in Texas. And I was like, this is important to me. Obviously Spanish is going to be a really important language. And so I feel really at home listening to Spanish or, or reading it or hearing people talk in it or, um, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, so I was always kind of in that world more than in the Asian American sphere. And so, Uh, It just made sense. Like I would listen to Christian music that was translated into Spanish and then translate it back into English just from my own practice. And like, and I really leaned into that. Uh, And so then by the time I got to uh, Greenville, when I went to college, um, I was just very much like, I'm a Christian boy uh, and that is who I am. And that is what I'm here to do. And if I could work at a church in Texas and use, you know, Spanish and English, that would be so cool. Uh, And just really didn't think much about being Asian until mm. my senior year. Um, and that's when I, I really leaned into uh, the minority uh, groups in, in college. Uh, there was a, a group of worship team that was put together that I co-led with my uh, Hmong brother. And he and I, uh, it was like us two. And then there were a couple uh, black people and whatever, and then like the whitest white people you could imagine. Uh, so it was a very diverse group and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I think that's when I started to really kind of understand myself as uh, hmm. 
a minority as Asian American, not just Christian. And I began to be able to better navigate with holding multiple identities uh, right. in, in myself beyond just like, I'm a Christian or I'm Korean or I'm disabled or, or whatever that is. Uh, and then in 2015, uh, which is when I graduated, I remember specifically my girlfriend, now wife, uh, sent me, uh, she went to University of Missouri and they were doing a celebration of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, uh, which oh. is the first time I'd ever heard of it. Uh, and so I started Googling things and found out that they, that Mizzou celebrated a month early. I don't know why, uh, but uh, I was like, most schools get out in May and we don't want to get shafted. So we, moved right. Yeah. I assume it was like something about graduation. Oh, yeah. but I was just like, <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is, this is cool. We have a month. I was like, I didn't know that Asians had a month. And so I got so excited about, it. and so now I really, I kind of joke. I'm like, I feel like I'm a five and a half year old Asian American, even though I'm like a 26 mm. and a half year old American. Yeah. In, in in your um have you gone back to Korea? Do you want yes. to go back? Uh I I was able to go back. Um so I was adopted through Holt Adoption Agency and they had a like a go back and visit the, the homeland tour. Uh so I did that right before uh sixth grade. And so that was where I got to experience um yeah, just all of Korea and tour the peninsula and, and do all of that um, and experience like kind of the modern stuff and the traditional stuff and yeah, all, um, all that. And then so actually, yeah, so that I, I did that and then had the Korean exchange students live with me. So that was just like okay. a year of like Big, super yeah. Korean-ness. Korea yeah. year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you, do you have any desire or plans to go back, especially now with your wife who... Um, obviously has been with you or has been your friend in your life since high school and has seen you progress through your evolution of wanting to find a little bit more of yourself, particularly given in the last you know year or six months or so. Yeah. Um, have you guys talked about going back and what would that, what would that look like for you? Yeah. Uh, so she actually taught English uh, there um, for a month right before her senior year, uh, separate from me. I, I wasn't with her cause I was, I just gotten the job at the time and, and was working and stuff. And, mm. uh, and so, and she like has had a, a deep love uh, of Asian culture and for Asians. And so that was really cool for her. Cause like we knew we were going to be married at the time and all this stuff. And, um, yeah, so that was cool. And, and so we kind of imagined like, Oh, maybe between living in the Midwest and going back to Texas, we'll take like a gap year for ourselves and go and teach English. Uh, I think that's less the case now, but also I have my own like hesitancy uh, because I, like I said, I, I feel like a five and a half year old Asian American and I, I would feel so nervous um, being there, especially with my wife who is white uh, to, to go to Korea and feel some onus to explain some things and be like, girl, I don't know. <laughs> like I, I went here one time in sixth grade for like a week and a half. Like, I don't know what this is. And like, I can like read the signs and be like, I mean, I know how to type that into a translator. Or like I recognize like to go. So, you know, but, um, so I, I think that there's this own mm, fear of my not being enough or, uh, my, I think part of it too is um, like in, in Dallas growing up, I remember, uh, and especially I think going to Bogota, Colombia, uh, there's this sense of like in Spanish, like if you see a gringo, like that feels that's highly identifying and somewhat derogatory. It's not always derogatory, but like can be like, oh, gringo is here, you know? And then I, I came across whatever the word is for that, but as like Korean and like, oh, you're a Korean, but you're not from Korea. Um, and so had these own experiences, like, I don't know if I want to deal with being less than in my own country and feeling, yeah, just kind of the nerves of that. So I think we would go and visit. Uh, and I think like that would be, be fantastic, but there is still kind of that, that hesitancy and that nervousness uh, that I feel. I, I still feel that too, man. Uh, they just know, they yeah. know, you know, I, I don't know if it's like, we we don't all look like the the same K-pop one you know boy band do the hairdo the dress um, but they know you're not from there um, even you know the the street merchants and you know the taxi drivers they they, they sniff you out yeah and um, like oh I can take but, but at least now I think it's a little bit more diverse right it's it's a little bit more global um, you know the, the the population maybe still 
um, just as homogeneous as it has ever been, but at least the cultural influences, the business influences, and um, some of the languages, I think, is a little bit more open. Um, you mentioned you from from birth um, in in Korea. Uh, the first six and a half months of your life were were in the foster system, and you came here to the states through Holt, um, which is a a name that's familiar to people who are uh, at least a little bit familiar with uh, Korean transnational adoption. Um, have you thought about, talked about with your family or, or taken steps to find biological parents? Uh, I've come in and out of that. So when I was younger, I was like, yes, it would be so cool. I'd love to meet them and just, uh, yeah, kind of have that sense of history. Uh, and then in high school, I was like, you know what? I'm good. Like, I love my parents. They're so, so good to me. I don't like, it would be cool to meet them, but I just, I'm going to put that on the back burner. It's kind of a pipe dream. Uh, now I'm like, well, I really should meet them for my own like health history and things like that. Um, and it was a, especially poignant when my older sister had her first kid. Uh, mm. and, um, you know, she, when, when my niece was like two, we would, or maybe one and a half, we would show her a picture of her mother and say, who is that? And she'd be like, oh, that's me. And I just remember feeling like, oh, I'm never going to have that. Like, and, and so even in, in some way, like when it's my family and me and my wife having dinner out in a restaurant, when we could do that and not feel like scared for our lives, um, <laughs> we like just being like, oh, you know, if other people see me, it's going to be like, I'm the one who married into this white family. It's not going to be, you know, this white family and my white wife, like, you know what I mean? So just kind of that, uh, that link was missing. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's more important to me now just for health reasons. And I've had a couple of health scares and be like, it would be nice to know that. But like, I know that like, like I said, it's just kind of a pipe dream. So I don't know, maybe, um, it'd be nice to meet them, but yeah. How much of that desire and the varying degrees of that desire to meet is related to, um, wanting to know if you do, uh, the circumstances around your adoption? Um, I think some of it is around that. Um, and I've read some things and I've heard some things about like the kind of native Korean perception around giving your child up for adoption. Um, and it's all at this point anecdotal, so I'm not going to like, say this is how it is so i i like to assume that i can kind of grasp maybe where they were coming from and i'm okay with the narrative that i've given myself uh and if the narrative that they were to give me if we were ever to meet was better or worse that would i mean that's fine um because life is what it is and i'm not going to hold any anger or resentment or you know whatever towards them and i got to meet my foster mom uh, when I went back to Korea, oh. which was really cool. And I, uh, so I met her and I think I was the first of her foster children to, to come back. Um, and so that was, that was really cool. And she's the one who I have pictures of, um, mm. in, in my baby book. And so that was maybe, uh, as meaningful to me as potentially meeting my biological parents. That's cool, man. Um, tell me about your name. What what do the letters KJ stand for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, in the 90s, as I was being born, um, you know, Michael Jackson, not Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, rise to power in the NBA. Uh, my mom is from Arizona, from Phoenix. And so uh, it was apparently it was the Bulls and the Suns going head to head for, you know, the NBA championships. And um, and so for the Suns fans, there is a star player named Kevin Johnson, who is colloquially known as KJ. Uh, so my Korean given name is Kang Junte, And so, uh, they were like, oh, this is so cool. Like we can, uh, call him KJ. So, uh, they, they, uh, instead of Kong, they gave me Caleb as my American name. Junte is still my middle name, which I will love them forever for keeping that. And then, uh, yeah, so they would just like, just for my whole life, I've been KJ. And so, uh, I have used, like I would sign Caleb on all of my papers or whatever. Like if somebody's reading a class, it's just like, oh, who's Caleb? And then, so I'd know, like if somebody called me Caleb, they didn't really know me because I was, I was KJ. <laughs> so yeah. But then I used Junte on all of like my uh, internet stuff because I was like, nobody in America is going to have Junte. And it's probably not even a super 
Korean, like common Korean names, usually June. So I was like, this is perfect. This is all, I'll just use the Romanized Junte for online stuff and then KJ for in-person stuff. And then Caleb, if you don't know me or you're a legal person. So, yeah. I mean, if you put your last name to it and you're legally Junte Raoki, there's very, very little chance. I wouldn't say zero. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> probably a good chance that that's not, that's not a repeat. Yeah. Um, this is a... I just want to say thanks for 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 sharing, man. I, I think it's 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 not easy, um, you know, to to talk about some of these things. Um, and I, I I think your parents did a, a hell of a job, man. Um, I have been very lucky to have some really close friends in my life who have also been adopted at a very early age, and um, and and to varying degrees. I think at some point the the desire or sort of the um i don't it's, i think it's somewhere between a, somewhere that starts with desire and want to um a moral obligation to learn more about myself mm-hmm. um because you know we, we we come from centuries of history and heritage and um certainly as you've aged um in the past 26 years anything korean has gotten exponentially cooler yeah and just a part of um, even the American and global cultural narrative, um, you know, food. I mean, you, you. I mean, go back home now to Dallas. I mean, just about every chain from Korea probably has an outpost there. And um, we know of friends from Koreatown here in LA who are opening up businesses and restaurants out there because that's the next frontier, right? So mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's also timely and also it, it helps that I think um, – you know, I still remember back in the day, and I'm sure a lot of my contemporaries do too. Um, you had to tell people what Korea was because mm-hmm. it wasn't in their vernacular. It was, you know, China, Japan, and I know any other Asian countries existed, right? Yeah. So, um, I, I I think that's really been sort of cool. Um, you know, I don't want to say it's like our time, but you know, it's it's been it's helped. I think um, in even for uh, I've been here 28 and a half years now, right? So. Um, I still connected to the culture, but still, I think it helped that, you know, music was cool and kept me connected, uh, sports and, you know, movies and TV and then, you know, all the things that people like, you know, to, to, uh, entertain themselves with and and keep emotional connections with. Um, I, I think that is so cool, man. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, your, your most recent, um, I guess, the last six months or so. 2020 has been, uh, I don't know. I, I just always call it a fun year. It's um, been a whirlwind. Fun, 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 fun can have a lot of different meanings. Um, what about the 2020 experience, um, you know, specific to us kind of dealing with COVID-19 and um, obviously from a public health concern, which is, you know, top of mind, but... Um, what about going through this experience sparked a renewed interest in you, uh, to seek a little bit more about your identity, more about your culture. And, um, I mean, you mentioned at some point during a conversation, there was no way in hell you would have imagined being a guest on a podcast that is for and by about Asian Americans, but here we are, um, right in the middle of 2020. Yeah. Um, share with me a little bit about what you've been through and and sort of what's gone through your mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's just been this, um, so living in Springfield, which the most generous statistic I've heard about Springfield, Missouri, is that it is 87% white, um, which may be accurate. When I moved here, I heard anywhere from like 93 to 95% white. Um, And so that was just like heartbreaking and inconceivable to me to imagine that I couldn't even necessarily really find and didn't know how to find uh, people who spoke Spanish, which I feel like is kind of the easiest um, non, like having their own language minority to find, you know, in the Midwest. Like if I'm going to find anyone, maybe I can find someone who um, who speaks Spanish. Uh, but also like most of the Mexican restaurants aren't that good. So I was like, I don't really want to, it just feels so bad, you know? So I was just like coming from Texas. I'm like, it's not the same. And so, yeah, there's a lot of grief anyways. Uh, so living in an incredibly white town made me hyper aware of my identity as 
an Asian American. Um, and, you know, for Christians, we love to celebrate that Christianity is a global religion and, uh, you know, in the Christian um, story tradition, we like, we are looking forward to the time when every knee and every tongue gathers together to worship God. Um, and so uh, I remember we were having some celebration of kind of that idea, right? Of the uh, that global church coming together and worshiping. And so we're singing a song and I, I happen to know the chorus um, in Spanish. And so just kind of on the day, spur of the moment, I was like, I'm just going to sing this in Spanish. Uh, and my mm-hmm. pastor at the time was like, yeah, we need more of that in our church and we need more of that in our, our community, our city. And I, I just uh, remember feeling so sad that I was the one who had to bring that here. Um, hmm. And so it's just been like kind of all of those things. And like I said, you know, 2015, uh, I was aware of um, for the first time Asian American Heritage Month. And then a little bit after that, Hamilton dropped, uh, which was crazy, but that's just like, like that whole story of an immigrant living the American dream and, and riding his way out and rise, rising above his station. I was like, I so identify with that hustle uh, just because it's like the most American, you know? And so then again, I was aware of minorities in America and, and how we navigate. And then really uh, with the coronavirus and um, things like jokes about Kung flu and, and the nerves about, um, Asian Americans going out and wearing masks. And just because I care, I am aware that mask wearing in Asia is a fairly common practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like some other people are aware of that too, but I know because I'm American, the stigma that can be associated with that. And so, uh, that was the first time that I really heavily felt, uh, the weight of my being Asian American. And because of how not diverse Springfield is, uh, was the first time that I really had to wrestle with that. I couldn't just blend into other minorities because there weren't any other minorities to blend into. It was, it really, it feels in some ways kind of like me and the, you know, five other people that I know. Um, and so that was just, just wrestling with that. And then uh, George Floyd gets murdered and there's this new uh, sweeping movement and pulse because no one has anyone, anything else really to do. Like we were all just sitting on our phones and taking in the news about coronavirus. And then the news is like, Hey, not coronavirus. Let's talk about this, not coronavirus thing. And fortunately it has sparked uh, such a, a wave of social awareness and of people examining themselves. And so uh, at the same time that I examine my own uh, systemic issues and biases and, and things towards black people, I'm also realizing the ways in which I've propagated that for Asian Americans. And, uh, and so have really learned, I think, uh, all of the language uh, related to like, you know, what does it mean for Asian Americans to be a minority, which, especially if you're East Asian can feel like a thing that you can kind of ignore. uh, And yet the like, how do you navigate like you really shouldn't ignore that and you need to get on people's sides. on top of living in a very conservative, uh, historically rooted, like Southern, you know, like there's just a lot of, uh, I don't know, pro-Confederacy people who are like, that's a part of our history. And, you know, and so just all of that combined just created this uh, perfect moment in time for me to really be highly hyper aware of uh, being Asian American of, uh, race relations in America. Um, and so that's like, really, it's just been, like I said, this journey that I think really in earnest started in 2015 to being Asian American and then feeling like, okay, so you're aware of who you are and now you're called to do something. So what then do we do and how do we, uh, move forward after all of this? And what are some of those concrete next steps for you in learning more, trying to be, um, I I would hate to say that you need to carry the burden of the entire Asian race in Springfield, Missouri to educate people and to, you know, be the uniting force. That's, that's too big of a burden. Um, but what, what are some things that you were doing, you know, at, at home, at church, within the community, um, both internally to learn more about yourself and how you can be better educated and aware. Um, but also then the next step is to 
how do you bring other people along? Yeah. So, uh, generally the line that I've taken in, uh, becoming a better ally, I guess, uh, has been, I will be the most gracious and the most loving and the most patient with my wife because she will be the mother of my children. And so, um, in that way, uh, we can be more anti-racist. We can build strong children and help grow strong children who, uh, just kind of generationally push the needle forward. Uh, but for everyone else, like it's fair game to any, uh, anger or any just like, I don't want to deal with this right now or whatever. Um, and I know that, uh, like I being very light skinned, um, have more inherent privilege than my darker skinned brothers and sisters. Uh, and so for me, especially being adopted and raised by white people, I have kind of this thing about, I'm thinking about, okay, so what things have I just learned by being, American and living in a mostly white America that I need to actively work against. Uh, and, and, and life is so different now than it was 20 years ago, but I, there are other people who I know, other Asians who I know who are adopted. And, um, I just think like, how do we wrestle with like, sometimes in my head, like when I first started talking about being Asian and Asian Americans and things, my wife pointed out to me that I was using them a lot. Like I didn't identify mm. as Asian American. And she asked me, she was like, why do you keep saying them? Like you are Asian. Uh, and so I was like, oh, whether I feel like it or not, I am Asian and so have this responsibility. Uh, and so just being adopted makes this kind of extra pressure and unique gateway into, I know the the white person's journey into being anti-racist and, and seeing things from their perspective, because I don't have um, a story where like I, uh, my parents came over and um, were trying to find a new life or whatever, or also I'm not black. And so I don't have like that. All, like I'm learning about Juneteenth alongside of other people who are learning about Juneteenth for the first time, or I'm watching the same documentaries and I'm reading the same books as all of you. You know, and so, and yet I still feel like I have to do that. So I think for me, I've just really felt this strong focus to be, okay, uh, as Asian Americans um, and speci especially for adopted Asians who may or may not be fully aware of their identity as Asians, like, what do we do? Because uh, I, I have people who I, I deeply care about who are uh, really affected by um by all of this. And, and I'm like, man, I didn't know then I couldn't know then, even though right. they were, you know, we were just kids. And even then they were looking to me to be an ally. And I was like, I don't know. Uh, but now I can be like, now I know, now I've got your back. Now I'm on your side. How do you, have you given thought to, um, maybe you've thought about this, maybe you haven't, but, um, earlier you mentioned, you know, you have this desire you and your wife do to go back to Texas because that's where you grew up and you remember it a certain way. And since the time you left between college and uh, Missouri, uh, not only has the world changed, but it sounds like you've changed quite a bit mm. in your view of the world, your view of yourself. And in particular, having a little bit more of a, um, I don't want to say critical, but a more uh, wide eye view of um some things that you may have not been as hyper aware of, um, particularly when it comes to, um, as you mentioned earlier, you know, sort of the, um, I consider Confederacy a part of my history versus for, you know, admitting it for what it is or yeah. just um, subtle bits of commentary or stereotype prejudice racism that either you heard and didn't give much credence to or just didn't hear at all because you weren't listening for it. Um, do you, you have concerns about going back to a place and feeling out of place there too? Because the people that you grew up with, you may see them differently and they actually may see you differently given all that's going on in the world. Um, I, no, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm concerned about it. Uh, I, I think because of my own change and just, um, as much as I've changed through college and, and now, um, I feel like I'm getting better at kind of always updating everyone's identity cards. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, like all my family is in Dallas. And so I, I will see them on a good year, three times a year. 
Uh, and so like my nieces and nephews will grow up. And, uh, so when I was born, my, uh, or when I was born, when my first niece was born, I was 10. And so we were our best friends and, and I got to spend so much time with her. Uh, this youngest child, she was born when I, um, had gotten married. And so I saw her for maybe two days of her whole first year of life. And so every time I go back, uh, I always have to update like, oh, you can run now. Oh, you can talk now. Or you're in high school. And that means something different than when we right. were together, you know? And so, uh, so no, I think uh, on, in some ways I'm looking forward to uh, less translation. Like there, like we have more shared history there. Right. Uh, and so in some ways I'm like, no, I, I, I know where you're coming from. And also I feel like there's this other way forward that we need to work towards. Uh, and so sometimes it's like, you know, like it took me going away and then coming back and be like, yeah, this is exciting. And, and, and I'm willing to, to have those hard conversations. Uh, whereas here in Springfield, because I, uh, am not from here, I'm like, well, I don't get your history as much. And so I don't know, it's harder for me to, to be a guide or to help shape i mean i can a little bit but like i don't we don't really speak the same language we don't have that same shared vocabulary and so it's just harder you know in, in some ways to, to do that so i'm looking forward to it it will be kind of a struggle but i think i like to think that my mind is flexible enough to um to navigate that what do you hope to what about the korean culture do you want to are you most excited to learn more about man uh i wish i could just spend like six months living with a korean family uh and honestly like my first step and my goal and i've tried this almost every new year's and it's lasted for multiple different months. And so every year I get better at this, but like, I'd love to be, uh, conversational in Korean. And I think that that, uh, just the effort of going through and learning the language, whatever language that is, um, is just a first step of being like, Hey, I care about you as a person. And I care about your culture and, and your own history with that, uh, whether that's Spanish or Korean or German or Romanian or whatever. Um, and so, uh, if I could, a, be fluent enough in Korean to really begin to understand things. I would love to be able to delineate in my mind uh, what makes a Korean a Korean versus Japanese versus Chinese versus uh, Hmong versus Cambodian versus Indian, you know, and right. um, and I've I've done the best that I can to diversify the entertainment that I take in because there aren't a lot of diverse people here. Like <laughs> entertainment is where I get most of my diversity now. So whether yeah. it's watching uh, Kim's Convenience, which is Korean Canadian, which is like as close as I get to that, or like always be my maybe and being like Randall Park, woo. Uh, or, uh, you know, then watching like On My Block or Hentified or Jane the Virgin and just being like, this is another part of all people that I really care about or, or dear white people or, um, you know, just like the fun things, but you still pick up on yeah. all of those stories. And, uh, so just thinking about, yeah, like how do I amplify people of color experiences and that? And so I begin to understand then the delineation and I see them, I think more fully as human beings to understand, like, this is what makes yeah. you Korean as opposed to Japanese, even though there are shared things across, uh, those nationalities, you know, uh, I see you for who you are, like really deeply, truly see you and can right. celebrate that. And then can say like to a Japanese friend, I see you and I, I understand you and I, and I love you for that. Um, and just like being able to immerse myself. I think if I could live there and pick up on like, even for me, like the nuance of how we call parents, you know, like the shorthand, not the like, but like, uh, and, and that difference versus how it would be in Japanese versus how it would be in Chinese and, and right. knowing that that is that and being like, ah, yeah, I, I get that and, and can celebrate that with you. I think it's so important. I think culture is something that obviously we, most of us learn our, our version of whatever our culture is just by living it. So to then have to explain it to somebody from an academic perspective of like mm -hmm. having to teach it, 
or the other way around if you're just trying to learn culture by reading it like it doesn't work yeah right? like you just need to just live um, yeah just be right in it. live it is the best way second best like if you you know and, and as you mentioned earlier like korean dramas are not reality so it's it's hard to like watch that and be like oh yeah that's korean culture right like yeah. um a lot of the many of them t- tend to follow similar plots you know mm-hmm. with, with similar character types um so man th- this has been a lot of fun um Ooh, what's your favorite Korean food? And when's the last time you ate it? Oof, okay. Uh, I feel super basic for saying this. Um, actually, I have two that are up there. I like galbi. I like samgyeopsal. Uh, I think those are both delicious. Um, bibimbap is good if I just feel like I need to eat like a lot of food. <laughs> um, yeah, those are like my top three. Um, the last time I had it was a very long time ago because the... Korean places here in town are uh, closed that I know of, or there's some new ones that are like Korean barbecue. I'm like, well, I don't want to, I'm not, I haven't been to a restaurant yet, so I can't like go and enjoy the experience. I'm not <laughs> go and enjoy the experience, you know? Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, it's, um, I, it's, it's a shame in 2020 that, uh, it's not a shame. It's, it's for a good reason. Um, I, it's a difficult year, I think. I mean, obviously, you're wanting to learn more and to experience new and, you know, re-experience Korean things has happened because 2020 has played itself out the, exactly the way it has. But for those exact same reasons, you can't go and, you know, go drive back to Dallas and, and, and go, you know, go to Plano or to Carrollton and go to all the new Korean restaurants and the dessert shops and the coffee store for, for, for the same exact reasons why you had this epiphany. So I think, you know, um, one, one, one can wait. Um if, if ever you make it out, you, you and your wife make it out to uh, L.A., uh, we'd be happy to show you around to to all the places. It will probably be a giant culture shock um, to one or, or both of you. Um, it's, it's a bit of a bubble. Um, but, yeah, this is I, I really thank you for coming and sharing your story. I know the journey is not done. Um, you know, you're you're going to evolve. You're going to find more of your voice. Um, but I think. You know, now more than ever in the history of forever, it is so easy, much easier to find content, right? Um, or even, um, you know, I we found, so uh, my son's three and a half, and obviously there's a lot of like kid-friendly cartoons and stuff on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so one deal that we made with him was like, you can watch all you want, but we're going to turn the Korean voice on. Nice. Yeah, so it's like, you know, it's educational. Yeah. Well, he think he's, it's fun for him, but we also consider it educational because, you know, we want him to know the language and we want mm-hmm. him to know the culture. And um, as, as you're experiencing day to day, like you're you're more you're the most Texas person in your family. Yet you walk down the streets of Springfield, or you know, people who don't know you personally, they're always going to see you as you know not one of their own, or however they define us versus them, right? So. Um, I, I think it's a, a challenge um, for all parents, all, you know, parents across the board, but particularly, um, you know, whether it's me or you, we're going to raise, you know, half or full Asian kids that are going to have to figure out a way to be successful and most importantly, happy in America and feel welcome. Um, and, and so, you know, it's not one of these things where um, you can just convince yourself like, oh, as long as he learns English, it's going to be fine. No, there's going to come a point where, um, language is important. Food is important. Understanding of culture is important. And um, that's sort of what makes us unique. And that's what sort of makes us, um, our experiences and our identities rich in, in what we live and believe in. So, um, so, so, so excited, man. Um, I'm, I'm glad we met. I'm glad we connected. I'm looking forward to staying in touch and, and seeing your journey through um, life Um I don't know, man. It's is I there's this really, really warm part of my heart right now that you reached out, um, and I'm I'm sure we'll have a lot more fun uh, conversations about you know life. Um, you know, I like I said, I I came to the states when I was eight, um, so I've lived you know the majority of my my life here in the states. But identity is something that I don't think I'll ever it's so fluid and so evolving that I don't think I'll ever come to a point where like, you know, that my Korean and my American part don't make a hundred. It's always going to make something, you know, 
uh, 150% of who I am, right? Because, yeah. and, and as you experience and as you go through different things, you, you adapt like a chameleon and you, you know, you, you increase one and you decrease another, but, um, that's what really makes life fun. Um, I want to end the show the same way we end all the way, oh, the same way we end all of our shows. Um, and it is in the form of our, our love letter that we call Dear Asian Americans. And it is a, a statement of love, hope, and inspiration, uh, to us, from us, and ultimately for us. And so if you could, KJ, help us finish out the show and uh, finish the letter, Dear Asian Americans. You are so cool. And the world is slowly realizing it, even though uh, there is a lot that people feel like they need to be scared of, uh, even though there can feel like such high entryways into uh, knowing and appreciating and, and loving your history and your heritage and your culture. You are so cool and so wonderful. And coming from somebody who is just growing into his identity as Asian and Asian American, I encourage you to be vocal and to be gracious. Uh, to welcome all people into your community. Uh, and as much as you can, take time to uh, to explain and to share. And if you feel like you need to flip some tables in the process, then by all means, flip some tables in the process. But now we have come to the time uh, when America, now more than ever, is aware of racial identity, of uh, racial biases and prejudices and things. And so uh, as much as uh, our history is not Black history, as much as we can amplify those things, uh, we ride the wave uh, of moving uh, people forward to create a better, a more beautiful, a more whole, a more welcoming America. Uh, so know that you are, are cool. Know that uh, there are people who are so fascinated and not in a exotic not in a foreign way but in a in a i deeply am interested in and care about you and want to know whether that is someone who looks like you or someone who doesn't look like you uh, but i think that we as asians have such a unique place uh being not white being not black being not latin american uh, that we have great capacity to help change, to help build uh, a better future for our children, to move the needle forward uh, so that maybe one day our children's children don't have to have conversations uh, like Black Lives Matter. We can truly celebrate uh, every human being mattering. Uh, so do your best, be gracious, take rest, have fun. Uh, I look forward to interacting with you on the internet. Thank you, KJ. Um, be loud. Share your story. Go go crazy. Um, I know that there are many friends and friends old and new um, who, through these experiences, have found their own voice, whether it is through writing or through music or through starting a podcast even, um, to really not just go through our own catharsis of sharing our own stories, um, but also inviting our friends along the journey to share. And you don't need a license to share. You don't need credentials to share. Um, you being a human being and having your own unique life experience is all the credentials you ever need to share. Um, and as long as you're not mean, as long as you're not hateful, as long as you're open-minded and, and want to move things forward for the greater of humanity, I'm, I'm sure um, there are many other opportunities for all of us uh, to begin um, sharing our own war stories. Um, I think right now, with enough work, we can find the finite number of Asian American podcasts that exist in America. I hope we get to a point where we start so many daily that we'll never know. And there's enough stories out there. There's enough people to listen. And I really thank you and, and for your um, 
courage and, and bravery and excitement and energy and just reaching out to us on the show to share your story. Um, if you're out there and maybe you are a Korean adoptee or an Asian adoptee um, and you're having questions or just thoughts or confusion about your identity, um, reach out to KJ. Yes. Uh, reach out to Nathan, who we will also have on the show. Um, it may seem lonely. Um, I will never know what that feels like. Um, it wasn't my experience. And maybe KJ or Nathan or anybody will never know exactly what you're feeling like because every circumstance is so different. But there's enough shared stories and there's enough shared emotion, pain, and even joy in what you're going through now um, that you should share it. And you should also share it because you never know who's listening. Um, it's pretty wild. Um, we, we don't share a lot of these publicly, but some of the notes that we get in private about people who listen to this show, and oftentimes it's people who are in the middle of the country, not from large centers of Asian American anything, that say, I don't know how I found the show, but you know, thank you for, for sharing that. And, and that's really what keeps me going. And that's what really keeps, you know, the energy going through the show. And, um, so yeah, KJ, thank you. Um, you're, you're a badass. Um, I, I, I thank you and, and your family and, and your wife for, um, raising and, and continuing to support and, um, nurture an amazing Korean brother. And, uh, I hope when all this passes, and it can be sooner if people continue to put on their damn masks, yeah, that oh, you can come out to LA and we can enjoy a meal and and, and uh, share some fun stories in person, brother. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks again, and, and be safe, be well, and uh, stay healthy, man. You too. I want to thank KJ for coming on and sharing his story. I had a chance to talk to KJ after this show and in an extended conversation with Nathan, uh, who is a former guest of ours, and Patrick Armstrong, who will be a future guest um, about the Korean adoptee experience. And you might be able to hear those stories from their perspectives um, on a regular basis um, as we're working on something really exciting uh, to bring to our audience, particularly from the Korean adoptee experience. If you found KJ's show and conversation engaging, entertaining, and fun, Please share it out, um, connect your friends to the show, uh, send them the links, or you can screenshot what you're listening to now on your phone and then share it on Instagram. Tag us when and where you can at Dear Asian Americans across all the social media platforms. And we're very active on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and even LinkedIn. And if you want to chat with me about anything, uh, shoot me a DM, whether it's on Instagram or an email at hello at DearAsianAmericans.com. Would love to engage with you, love to say hello, and love to say thank you for tuning in. Wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, wish you all the happiness, health, and safety in the world. And until next time, signing off on episode 60 of The Asian Americans, this has been your host, Jerry Wan.